problem. These are the consequences and the comprehensive evils of Jerusalem and the people. And as we've seen before in the prophets, sin towards God always brings sin towards uh, other people. And so first of all, the primary announcement is an announcement of woe. And I'm just taking it separate because woe is a declaration. And woe means that a person is in a miserable or sorrowful state, and they're brought into a, a point of, of suffering uh, from misfortune or grief or affliction. We, we've seen this before there 50 times in all the prophets, uh, five times in the book of Habakkuk that we just studied, seven times in the book of Revelation. We've seen it over and over again. The, the prophets in Revelation are tying everything uh, together. But God is pronouncing the woe. God is saying, I'm going to bring you into this sorrowful state. God is saying, I'm going to bring you into this miserable state. He is powerful and he's able uh, to do what he says. He's able to do uh, what he says. Uh, the sins of Jerusalem and uh, Judah, then secondly, there's seven of them. First of all, they're rebellious. The nation of Judah and the, the city rebelled against Yahweh. Uh, rebellion is defiance and disobedience against authority. Uh, the highest form of rebellion uh, is to disobey God and to go against God. One good example uh, that shows us it's any refusal to obey God's commands in any way is, is King Saul. Samuel told him to go and kill Agag the king and wipe out everybody. He left the king, he left uh, people, he left uh, the cattle. Samuel literally comes and says, uh, why, why do I hear all this uh, cattle in my ears then? What's all this? And Saul tries to quickly change, well, the people were going to make a sacrifice. I didn't obey, but we got this big sacrifice planned. And Samuel tells him, to obey is better than sacrifice, for rebellion is as the sin of divination. People are always qualifying and quantifying their sins, isn't it? And and Samuel tells Saul, you didn't completely do what God told you to do. That's like as if you went to a soothsayer or a seer or a fortune teller. That's how bad it is. People would say, oh, I'm offended at that. I would never go to a fortune teller. But you didn't completely do what God says. And Samuel says that they're both the same. For rebellion is as the sin of divination and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. He presumed. He presumed. Well, I don't really have to follow all of this. Uh, I'll, I'll have a plan B. How many times in the scriptures people have this plan B? It just doesn't work. Aaron, why did you build this calf? Well, I just threw this gold in there and the calf came out. What kind of excuses? What kind of excuses do we have? Uh, before the Lord. But see, he spared, and it was like divination, it was like idolatry. Jeremiah 5.23, this people have a stubborn and rebellious heart, and Ezekiel calls them a rebellious house 16 times. So secondly, they're defiled. This 
brings about the 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 uh, idea of being ceremonial ceremonially defiled to be filthy in God's eyes to be to be not appropriate or ready for worship uh, they were defiled for many reasons but primarily the idolatry uh, with the gods of other nations and cultures and uh, this impure worship added to their guilt we saw before that uh, many shortcuts were taken in in this regard Malachi 1 says and when you offer these things that are lame or sick is that not evil you see they they, they just wanted a shortcut just grab any sheep just go out there and get anyone I don't care if it's blind just go get it you remember the the, the ultimate expression of it was in the temple, wasn't it? I don't have to go look for one in my flock. I just go to the temple. They're selling them right in the temple. I don't have to take the time to go all the way through, find the perfect one. It's not lame. It's not that I don't have to do that. I just go right to the temple. Maybe you pay a little bit more. What did Jesus do? An amazing thing, isn't it? He, he took time to wrap these cords together and make sure they get the message. I'm going to make sure I have a tool to drive them out. Thirdly, they're called an oppressing city or a tyrannical city. Isaiah, in God's kindness and, and God starting to deal with them, says, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Oppression was a characteristic sin. Literally, in almost every prophet, there's words about oppression. Oppressing, oppressing people that, that have less, the fatherless, the widow. Jeremiah 6.6, 6, there's nothing but oppression within her. Jeremiah 9.6, they heap oppression upon oppression and deceit upon deceit. Deceit. They refuse to know me, declares the Lord. They're, they're just heaping up all the oppression. They're just heaping up all the deceit and all the lies. Uh, number four of the seven is listens to no voice. They don't listen to Yahweh. They don't listen to the prophets. They don't listen to righteous priests. They don't listen to anybody. Nobody can give them instruction. Uh, Jeremiah 7, 23 to 26, you could read that sometimes it, it, it God outlines it to them I sent people to talk to them I sent somebody to tell them what I gave them all my laws and, and the end is they, they didn't listen at all the fifth thing is that they accept no correction not only don't they listen you can't you can't correct things if you don't listen but they accepted no correction no amending of their ways, no amending of their actions, uh, despite many attempts to correct their sinful actions. You, you, see, uh, you see the guilt uh, building up, don't you? Sometimes with our children, maybe we, we overemphasize it. Maybe we overspoke. Haven't I told you a thousand times not to do that? Right? It probably isn't a thousand but we lose our temper, right? We get up to 15 or 20 and we say, I've told you a thousand times. But they accepted no correction. Number six, they did not trust in the Lord. In their hearts, they're not dependent on God. They've separated their souls from trusting in God. Like chapter one, verse six, they turned back 
They did not seek Yahweh, and they did not inquire of him. Chapter 1, verse 12, those who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill. They don't trust in the, in the Lord. And the final one, they, they don't draw near to God. Just see the other verses. See the, see the sins. They didn't approach God in prayer. They didn't try to have a relationship with him. They didn't approach God in worship. They worshiped other gods. They didn't approach God for the forgiveness of sins. And they didn't approach God for uh, help in, in times of need. They thought they were self-sufficient. So we looked at the woes and the, and the seven sins. And then thirdly, uh, the con condemnation or the characteristics uh, of the leaders. Now the ESV uses the word officials first, and I think that's kind of weak. But almost all the other translations have princes, judges, prophets, and priests. And, and that's, that's a stronger uh, look at it because it's, it's rulers, judges, right? The judicial system, uh, the prophets, and the priests, all your religious systems. So it's your secular and your religious systems. We might say in our day, politicians, scientists, uh, college professors, and false prophets. It's the same. Not, not exactly. There's no, there's no scientists. But, but if we said judges, think of what our judges have done. Think of the rulings that, that judges have made. You would think, how do you do that and you plea it down to only do this? How do you do this and you're out of jail in four years? How do you do this and justice isn't served? So here's the many pictures that they see. We've seen many pictures of lions before, but the princes are like roaring lions. They strike fear in others. They keep others away. The Pharisees, I was reminded of the Pharisees and wrote that down. How they kept people at bay. Remember John chapter 9, the blind man. The, the, they call the, the guy's parents and they say, well, could you please tell us what happened? And he says, no, 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 no. He's old enough to do that. And it gives the reason they were afraid that they would be put out of the, the synagogue. They pressured Jesus. Gary has been bringing it out over and over and over again. That pressure that they would put on. Oh, I'm afraid. Here come the Pharisees. Jesus didn't feel like that. But what if we had people that were after us like that? Oh, you call yourself a Christian. Oh, here, come, here comes that co-worker who's always on my back about, about this or that. That's what they were like, roaring lions. They, they tried to strike fear in people. That's your princes. Well, then come your judges. The judges are like wolves. And wolves, you know, are nocturnal. The sun goes down and then you hear the wolves in the background and they're out for the hunt. And the picture here is that by the time they're done, there's absolutely nothing left. The prophets, uh, there's different translations here, but they're fickle, they're insolent, they're restless. One of the translations says they're light. Uh, Kylan Dalish talks about this word meaning like vainglorious boasting. It's from a word that means to boil up or, or boil over. You, you, you can't control that, can you? you, you your uh, spaghetti is boiling over on the stove. It's out of control. 
They overflow with frivolous words. Uh, trap piles on these words. This is bad that your prophets are like this. And John Trapp says they're rash, they're headlong, they're feudalists. That, that means they produce no effect. Futility is in their words. They're debauched, they're aerial, they're fantastical, they're weightless, they're worthless men. And what's the result? Trapp goes on to say their doctrine has no authority. It just boils over. They just change. They just talk off the top of their head. They just, they just say things to please men. Uh, I, I have it written down. You probably quickly name me 10 false prophets that you know of. And you could just go, this guy, that guy, this guy, this guy, that guy. It's a shame. People's souls are being condemned because they're just like this. They're debauched. They're fickle. They're weightless. Their doctrine has no authority. Trapp goes on to say, he looks at their life. He says, there's no gravity. There's no staidness, right? There's no sober, respectful character that they're demonstrating to other people. There's no severity. There's no constancy. That's what these people have become. In one of the comments, there's, a, there's an old Latin phrase, which I don't know, but it basically meant for every day they have a new religion. Think about that. Think about all the errors in our own lifetime that you, oh yeah, I remember this guy came along, he started teaching that. And this other guy came along and he started teaching that. And, and that's what they were. And all of these words who describe a prophet who's in the worst condition possible. And everything that we are from the pulpit, everything that we should speak in the church of the living God should be absolutely opposite. Not clowns, not showmen, not fickle, not boisterous, not somebody whose character shows no staidness, no severity, no constancy. It should be the opposite. You should be able to say, those pastors' words are sound. Their doctrine is sound. Their character is sound. And maybe he's a little too staid and somber for me sometime, but he's not a clown either. He's not up there parading with, with uh, jokes and stories to make people giggle for 20 minutes. But that's what they were. And then come the priests. Here is the people that are supposed to maintain the holiness of worship with God and demonstrate to others redemption and loving kindness and mercy. Back then, you would have a priest who could be your favorite priest. And he always helped you spiritually. And he was always there. You could have a pastor. You could have a teacher. But what did they do? They profaned the sanctuary. They profaned what is holy. They took it and completely turned it around. Amos and Habakkuk talked about people that did violence to the law. Uh, uh, Amos says they, they turned justice into wormwood. We talked about it. It's just a bitter, bitter thing. Justice goes forth perverted. Uh, and too many ended up evil, like Eli's sons. Even Samuel's sons were, were said to be uh, wicked. And we can go right back to the Pharisees too. What did they do? 
They were the priests. They were the leaders. They, they were in charge. And what did they do? How do I look this morning? How's my frills? How's my tassels? How's my phylacteries? I've got to go out there. I've got to put on my sad face because I'm fasting, you know. He would say that, just you describing it, that's disgusting. But that's what they did. And that's why Jesus had, had a bullseye right on their chest all the time. Because you cannot lead God's people without affecting God's people. And they battered people. And what did he say? What did he say? You're a child of hell and you know what you did? You made another person more of a child of hell than, than you are. How is that possible? That's the Savior looking into somebody's heart. How could you make somebody more a child of hell than you are? No wonder he cleansed the temple. No wonder they, they remembered the zeal for God's house consumed him. But then, here is the stark contrast. I had trouble with this title because the, the contrast is, is, is vast. It's oceans apart because it's a contrast with these people and the living God. It's not just stark. It's glaringly stark. It's infinitely stark. First of all, this verse 5 relates to Jerusalem and notice where God says he is. Notice where God says he is. The Lord within her is righteous. The first four verses, he's been saying she is this, she is this, her sins, she is this. And God now says Yahweh within her. Her. I'm right there, he's saying. I've been right there all the time. It relates to Jerusalem. Yahweh consistently brings forth his righteousness and justice, and it contrasts to the people of the city in verse 1 and 2, the people, the rulers, and also all the prophets and the priests. And Jeremiah senses this too in chapter 12, verse 1. Righteous are you, Yahweh, when I complain to you, yet I would please my case before you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? It was Habakkuk's problem. It was Jeremiah's problem. And here Zephaniah is painting the, the contrast. And the focus is on justice. One translation says he does no iniquity. There's no shadow of turning. It's always straight. There's no change in justice. And remember, justice is positive and justice is negative. Justice is the right way to look at life. Justice is the right way to equitably treat everybody. But justice also is punishment. You can receive justice for disobedience, but you can execute justice and be uh, an equitable person, a fair person, and display that characteristic uh, of the Lord. It's a focus on Yahweh's essential holiness. The righteous God will dispense justice purely and perfectly and perpetually. There's no change. His character stands 
over against all the many and great sins of Jerusalem and, and Judah, the princes, the judges, the prophets, and the priests. Uh, they have especially sinned and perverted each of their roles in leading people astray. And Zephaniah is saying, God never perverts his role. He's always the same. Notice how it fits in with the, with the prophecy. Uh, uh, the the uh, English Standard Version uses two references uh, to the time. Uh, uh, it uses uh, every morning and each dawn. And uh, the, the other, the other uh, versions uh, say he brings his justice uh, to light. So it's just, a way of, it's just a way of saying the same thing. His justice always comes to light, but it comes every morning, every, every dawn. Every morning and each dawn, he does not fail or he never fails. And this is important. Every morning and each dawn have a very important meaning in the context of Zephaniah's prophecy and all other prophecies. Remember, Zephaniah is the prophet of the day who emphasized the day. Chapter 1 and verse 7, we, you could walk through it if you like, is the day of the Lord. Chapter 1 and verse 14, it's the day of the Lord. Chapter 1, verse 8, 9, and 11, he says, on that day or on the day. He's constantly talking about a day. Chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, he just goes through a day of, a day of, a day of, over and over again. It'll be a day of wrath, distress, anguish, ruin and devastation, darkness and gloom, clouds and thick darkness, a trumpet blast, and a battle cry. And he just says a day of, a day of, a day of, a day of. Chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. The day of the anger of the Lord, or the day of the anger of Yahweh. is There's a day coming, there's a day coming. He keeps saying that. There's a day coming for God to deal with. But how often does his justice come out? How often does his righteous come out? Zephaniah's point is every day. Every day. Habakkuk said, there's no justice. There's absolutely no justice in our society. Zephaniah said, there's absolutely no justice here. But Zephaniah says, every morning, every dawn, God's justice and righteousness come out. They're promised that these days are coming repeatedly. His righteousness and justice have been spurned and forgotten. They didn't seek God. They didn't inquire of him. And they turned their back on him. And they went to uh, idolatry. Their spirits weren't stirred up. The Legacy Standard Bible says they were stagnant in spirit. They're complacent. Remember the... Remember the picture like those dregs in the, in the bottom of the, uh, of the wine. You don't want to stir those up. You can't just dump that into your glass. You'll get all the mixed contents. You just want the wine, not all the, the junk. But that's what, that's what Zephaniah said. They're just unstirred. And they, they came up with a God that fit their complacency. I really don't want to get too serious about religion, you know. I, re I really don't want to make waves with anybody else. I really don't want to think about this. Really, after all, God really isn't going to do anything good or anything evil anyway. 
That, that was the lie. That was the God that they made. They make God complacent as they are. And they make him in their own image. But for us, Yahweh's name should always evoke thoughts of a powerful God who acts on behalf of his people. Shouldn't be able to say that name without thinking. Look at all the things that God did throughout history. Can you, can you imagine somebody that in their heart says, God really doesn't do good and he really doesn't do evil. You would say, are you kidding? We're, we're, talking, we're talking the prophecy of Zephaniah. Don't you know there's like thousands of years of God's activity recorded in the scripture before that? What do you mean he doesn't do anything? But every time we should think about it. And, and you can you can pick any incident, incident you want. I'll, I'll hold my hands up in the battle. And as long as I hold my hands up, the Israelites will prevail. Who does that? Well, my arms are getting tired. Well, we'll put you between some rocks. We'll have people hold you up. Who in the world could have a, a battle be won that, that, that the, the, just the guy's arms are up? Who could strike a rock or a pulpit and have water pour out of it? Only God. To, and do you, see what a, do you see what a thing they're doing? Mm, I don't think he can do good. I don't think he can do evil. The, what a lie. What blasphemy. Uh, uh, brethren, even in the light of that, what we'll study in just a few minutes, we have to understand God works all the time. He's righteous all the time. He's just all the time. He never changes. They might still ask, well, when is the day of the Lord then? When will it happen? How are we going to know the time? You're talking about the day, the day, the day all the time. It's enough to know that it's coming, isn't it? We've seen that already. There's plenty that can be done to prepare for that day. Because he demonstrated in the past that it was so. He demonstrates his power and his character every morning. His justice goes forth uh, uh, as, uh, as each dawn breaks. And he does not fail. Get up out of bed in the morning, pull the shade. Well, looks like a dawn. Here comes God's faithfulness. Get up on Tuesday morning, pull the shade. There's the dawn. Here's faithfulness again. Pillow your head. It doesn't matter. God's faithfulness all the time. It's always a morning that's filled with grace. It's always a morning that's filled with mercy. It's always a morning where God's goodness and his power is on display. In our hearts, what happens though? Yeah, but I'm waiting. I, I got to go to the doctor on Tuesday. You know that. So maybe if I have good news, then Wednesday is going to demonstrate God's faithfulness. If I have bad news, I'm not sure. I have to go to plan B. Well, no, that's not the way it is. One of our favorite verses, one of our, our favorite hymns. Great is your faithfulness. Where's the verse? Gary, where's the verse? Great is your faithfulness. Lamentations. lamentations. What's going on in Lamentations? What's going on in Lamentations is that there's nothing left to Jerusalem and Judah. There is nothing left. 
you read the first two chapters, you'd say, how anybody could get anything out of this, I don't know, because it's all about destruction. And Jeremiah's prophecy walks you all the way through it. Nothing left. They, they have a few people, they, they'll tell this guy, oh, you're in charge, and, and uh, the, he's a prophet, you take care of him. Nothing left. But what does he say? Say, the steadfast love of Yahweh never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. He didn't just say great is your faithfulness. He said it like four times. The steadfast love, the mercy, the loving kindness of Yahweh never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The, the land is devastated. The temple is destroyed. Buildings are all burned with fire. The walls are all broken down. And there's really not left of any crops or animals or anything. And that's what he says. And I hope by God's grace in faith and knowing that God demonstrates his character that I would be able to say the same thing. Where's your house? Oh, that got wiped out. Where's your car? Gone. What about your job? Lost it. What about your savings? Don't have any anymore. God's faithfulness is new every morning now. What a, what a thing. And we just want to look at ourselves and say, how do I view Yahweh and his work? Is it like this? Or is it like this? Constant. New every morning. Even though there's other things going on. There's a lot going on in this prophecy. But then the end of verse 5 makes another contrast. And I've just said opposites detract. Opposites detract. To detract, to detract means to take away from something or to diminish something. And Zephaniah says, but the unjust knows no shame. God shows justice all the time. He shows righteousness all the time. But the unjust knows no shame. It's just like what he said before. They won't listen to anybody. There's no one who, who can get them to accept correction. The Geneva Bible says they did not learn to be ashamed. That's, that's a good way to put it. They know no shame. It's not in their mind. They didn't learn it. You, you're amazed, right? Edison is learning to read. You say, wow, you can read that? He's learning. That these people didn't even learn shame. They couldn't take it away. They, 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 couldn't, could, they couldn't use God's word coming to them and say, yes, I disobeyed God's word. The prophets were just hammering it out. And they said, they said I, don't, I don't know. Uh, being unjust violates God's law concerning the, the treatment of, of neighbors, right? Think of injustice. Being unjust takes away, it takes away and diminishes a core value that's needed for society and all mankind to hold together, right? If you have unjust courts, it just spreads out and it, it, 
it uh, disintegrates a society because then what do people say? Well, I can't get any justice in the courts. The courts are unjust, but it also spreads out. Because one judge has to try to up the other judge. Well, he's, oh, that, that's a very liberal decision they made. Well, I'm going to make one that's even more. If you don't steal up to $500, we're not even going to do anything. Right? One of the states has something like that. You can go smash and grab. You can do this. But, hey, we're, we're not going to prosecute petty crime. Maybe something happened when you were a kid. That's why you have to steal and smash people's stuff. That affects everybody. That makes me say, what? Are you kidding? There's a state that really does that? Well, let's defund the police. Yeah, I mean, if they take over the police station and burn police cars and destroy everything, that, you know, they just, they had a rough childhood. The unjust, no, no shame. And, and the injustice, and the injustice is given to the people, isn't it? Yeah, you have every right to do that. Nobody's going to stop you. I have no, I, I have rights. I can burn a police car. I could do whatever I want. Yeah, sure, go ahead. That's the injustice because what did the judicial system say? What did the state say about that? What did, what did Seattle say about that? That's fine. Don't worry about it. That's unjust. It takes away and detracts from the image of God as the just one. It spits in human face and it spits in God's face. And the human face could say, that's all right. We'll just wipe it off. We know you had a rough, we know the, how things have been difficult. But you'll never, you'll never see God wipe it off his face. He'll wipe it off your face. Injustice encourages others to do the same. People sadly are like parrots. And they repeat the words that they hear. They repeat the things that they hear. If the government can do it, then I can do it. If the president can do it, then I can do it. If this can happen, then I can. It brings about more excuses. Those who know no shame diminishes God's law to nothing. They suppress the truth and unrighteousness until they have no shame for anything they do. Romans 1.27 Already... God gave them over to dishonorable passions. That's where they are. And they, they, maybe they don't know it. But men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their, for their error. So you see what the sin is. And it says it's just a shameless act, but they, they don't know shame. Proverbs 14.35, a servant who deals widely, wisely, has the king's favor, but his wrath falls on the one who acts shamefully. How about the Jesus's picture of the parable of the servant? He finds somebody, right? He he goes to the he goes to the ruler and he says, "Look, I need my debts. I, I need my debts canceled. I can't. I can't pay. I can't pay." The guy says, "Okay, I'm going to forgive you." Now he finds somebody that owes him money, and he's beating him up. And the report goes back and the guy ends up in, in much more trouble. That's, that's injustice. That's injustice. Uh, Jeremiah 6, we looked at it already. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed. And Jeremiah repeats it twice. 
we'll, we'll uh, finish up with uh, uh, some of Trapp's comments. Trapp says, such an impudency has sin woded in his face that he bashes not. So that's old English. But there is a plant called a woad plant. It's actually beautiful uh, yellow uh, uh, blossoms. But they get a dark blue dye from this plant. You, we all know uh, writ dye, right? If you say writ dye, you'd say, yeah, 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 we used to have it at the house. And you would dye things. Well, well, Trapp's picture is that it's as if their face is so dyed, woaded by their sin, you can't tell whether they're embarrassed or not. And they don't bash at anything. He bashes not. They're not bashful and they're not ashamed. This has covered their face, and you can't even tell. He goes on to say, When neither the fear of God nor shame of the world will rein men in, what hope is there for such people? What, what about the dishonest judge? He didn't fear God and he didn't fear man. What hope is there for him? What hope is there for Judah and Jerusalem? Do you fear God? No, not really. We're complacent. We're like wine in the bottom of the bottle. We just kind of don't move around. And God isn't going to do anything anyway. You see that, you see that woaded, you see that blue dye on their face? Trap goes on to say, prevent it in time. For the modest beginning of sin at first will make way for immodest proceedings. It always is going to get worse. And then a picture that I just like. The thickest ice that will bear a cart begins with a thin trembling cover that will not bear a pebble. And we used to do this when we were kids. The, the, the pond would start to freeze over and you'd take a rock only like this, throw it up, right through. He's talking about taking a cart out there, not just a cart, not a shopping cart. They always had a horse in a cart. Now, and I've been ice fishing, right? It's a little spooky. It's a little spooky moving around here. And, and the ice is always doing something. It's always moving around. So you're out on the ice and you hear <laughs> crack and you're looking down, you wonder. But Trap says that's what their hearts were like. That's what their hearts were like. In the beginning, it was like that ice that would crack with a pebble thrown on, and now you could drive a whole horse in a cart over it. It became so thick, the unjust, no, no shame. The thickest ice that will bear a cart begins with a thin, trembling cover that will not bear a pebble. Brethren, let us learn the lesson. Let us not be like these people and know that God's faithfulness is new every, every morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, write these things on our hearts. Help us to take them in. Help us not to be people who are unjust and know no shame, but be ready to receive all your correction and instruction. In Jesus' name, amen.